Today we're going to be in Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 33 through 35. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, please turn there. Um, and if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you should be able to find one under a seat around you. And if you don't own a Bible or don't have access to one, please keep that Bible as a gift from us. Again, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 33 through 35. So if you're willing and able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Welcome again to Providence. Uh, my name is Eric. If you don't know me, I serve as the Director of Missions and Outreach here. I'm excited to be with you this morning um, as we read God's Word. Uh, so as Lauren said, uh, we are ending our sermon series today that we've been in uh, with the Psalms and the Proverbs. Uh, last week, a, a guest a preacher named Casey Cease was here, and he preached uh, uh, on the topic of shame out of Psalm 51. And so we're going to be kind of ending. So if you haven't been here for all of it, what we've been doing is uh, taking uh, different emotions um, that we believe are, are biblical and that we feel and asking the question of uh, biblically, how, how do we deal with these things, right? Like how, how do we walk in? Uh, emotions is not something that usually as Americans we talk about often, right? Uh, and so how do we walk in those emotions in a healthy way, in a God-honoring way, in a biblical way? Uh, so we've kind of been unpacking that. And so we, we've talked about uh, quite a few different things. Um, but we're going to be in talking about shame. We're going to be ending that out of the Proverbs. So we go with the psalm and talk about what do the psalms teach about this specific emotion and then the Proverbs and what do those teach. And so uh, just kind of in closing out the series, I just want to highlight a few things that we uh, mentioned that, that we talked about during the series just to kind of recap a little bit. Um, we acknowledge that God desires our whole hearts and being in prayer and that there is no replacement for prayer in our dealings with our emotions and with the world and with God. It's important, and we can be boldly honest, and we can come to him as his children in prayer and be confident that he hears us. Um, another takeaway is uh, the battle with our emotions in a fallen world is a spiritual battle. It's not just uh, five steps to how you deal with your emotions and become a better you, but it's a spiritual battle that's going on inside the war uh, with your emotions, and it is... Um, the Psalms that become a powerful weapon in this battle against our unbelief and distrust in God. And so you see some deep emotion from David and other writers of the Psalms and these Psalms and the truths of God inside of these are great weapons in fighting this battle. Also, Satan is crafty to seek an occasion to tempt us in our emotions and turn us away from God and the psalmist and uh, the writer of the Proverbs, Solomon, uh, encouraged us to not do that, but to run into the presence of God. And so we acknowledge the enemy's work in the mix of our emotions and our sin. And then also the Proverbs give us a very practical and helpful uh, set of tools, if you will. Uh, things like confession of sin, uh, community with the people of God, repentance from our sin, mutual encouragement with one another, receiving counsel, walking in humility, making sacrifices, and having healthy relationships so that we can engage with our emotions in a helpful and God-centered way. Uh, and so 
that would be kind of some takeaways I think would be important from the series. And so um, it, it's one of those things that we don't just deal with our emotions by, by doing better, right? But we acknowledge our sin, our distrust, our unbelief. We run to God for deliverance. And it's in that way that we can deal with anger, that we can deal with disappointment, that we can deal with shame. Uh, and, and that's how we address these things through the word. And so uh, last week, Casey really unpacked the idea of Psalm 51 about shame, uh, and he quoted uh, from Ed Welsh. He wrote a book called uh, Shame Interrupted, and he gave a definition of shame that I want to share with you one more time as we get into this sermon, and it's this. Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. And I thought that was a great definition of shame, right? Because shame, and we're gonna talk about this a little bit, is not just in the actions that you've taken that you are ashamed of, but also maybe in the things that have happened around you or have been done to you and the shame that you associate with that that leaves you feeling uh, exposed and humiliated. And so one of the reasons that shame is so powerful uh, in our lives is because it's partially true, Right? We are shameful people. We are sinners. We have done shameful things. I could poll every single one of you in this room, and if you were honest, you would say, yes, I've done some things I'm not proud of, right, is what we say. I've done some things that I'm ashamed of. And so shame gets really muddy because there is a sense in which you should definitely feel ashamed about yourself, okay? It's not what we hear in the modern uh, self-help movement, which is, no, don't be ashamed. You are you. You be you and unashamedly be you, right? You can do whatever you want. No one can tell you anything different because what's true and right for you is true and right for you and no one, no one can tell you otherwise. Uh, but in reality, we, we should feel ashamed. So it's this mixed thing with emotions because on, on one hand, we should feel that. And then on the other hand, as the people of God, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we should, we should not be wallowing in our shame but walking in confidence that we are new uh, new creatures in Christ Jesus. And so shame gets a little convoluted. Uh, Casey pointed this out last week. Um, he said that although we are unable to keep ourselves from feeling shame, it can either be a tool or an idol. We can either use shame as a tool to lead us back to Jesus for help and for healing and ongoing relationship with him, uh, or we can worship at the feet of shame by isolating ourselves and just trying harder to defeat this uh, beast of shame alone. And so we have a choice that we can make as we experience and feel shame, and that is to either use it as something that brings us to God, makes us strong in the Lord, or, or something that uh, we worship and ultimately leads to our destruction. So this is true, absolutely true. Shame is inevitable because you are sinful. And so how we battle our sin and the shame of sin is vitally important to our life in Christ. And that's what I wanna get across uh, today. So I would like to pray for us as we dive in uh, to Proverbs 3 uh, and just ask God for his help. So if you wouldn't mind praying with me. Father, we um, love you. We, we acknowledge that we are helpless without you. We are shameful people. We have done shameful things and we do not deserve your grace. We acknowledge that because it's true and because it makes your gospel even more powerful. Because God, you chose to love us who are unworthy of your love. And so my prayer this morning, God, is that you would take your word 
the encouragement that we find in your word and the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, and you would make it real to us, tangible, something that we can not only see with spiritual eyes, but something that we could bank our life on because it's the only hope that we have. And God, I pray that for everyone in this room. Could you help us, God, to hope in your promises and to trust in your grace that is stronger than our shame and our failings? Holy Spirit, make your word move in power today. We want to hear from you. We want to know you. Uh, And I pray you'd help us to that end. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... There are two kinds of shame I want to talk about today, uh, and that is well-placed shame and misplaced shame. So you have well-placed shame and misplaced shame. Uh, And these are important categories because like we already addressed, we should feel shame uh, because we are sinners, right? There's shame that comes with that that is natural and good, and that's what I would call well-placed shame. Uh, And there's also what I would call misplaced shame, which is shame that you should not feel. And I'm gonna define these as we get into to, to these, but first I wanna address well-placed shame. This is how I would define well-placed shame. Uh, well-placed shame is shame you feel when you are engaged or have engaged in something that dishonors God. Well-placed shame is shame you feel when you participate in or have participated in acts or feelings that dishonor God. God. So when we dishonor God, we should feel shame. The Proverbs is going to do this a lot. It's going to compare uh, honor and shame. There's honor for those who um, walk in wisdom, and there is shame and disgrace for those who are foolish. Uh, and that's what our text says here. Let's kind of read it together again. Uh, look at verse 35. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. And so uh, it talks about here the, the wise versus the foolish. And, and like I said, the Proverbs does this a lot. It compares uh, two different um, people. Uh, those who serve God, uh, love God, heed his wisdom, walk in wisdom, fear the Lord. Uh, and those who do the opposite, they don't fear the Lord, they don't walk in wisdom, they don't obey God, they don't um, enjoy him. So when we do acts that dishonor God, we bring shame, well-placed shame to ourselves uh, because we exist to glorify God. We exist to honor God. The Westminster uh, Catechism says this. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I know that's not scripture, but I think that sums up scripture in a very powerful way, which is you exist. Your chief goal of your life and why you're on earth is to glorify and honor the Lord uh, and to enjoy him. Um, And so when we do that, we fall into that shame. Now, so we talked about the wise. We mentioned it's those who fear the Lord, who heed God's wisdom. Um, But what is this honor? Uh, I was thinking through this and I was like, man, you know, so many things you could say about honor, right? Honor is giving someone the the respect and the uh, adoration due to their their name and um, who they are, their being. Uh, But I think the honor goes a little bit further a little bit uh, farther than that. And we can see that in the New Testament. If, uh, and you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8, it says this. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's quoting Isaiah twenty eight sixteen. So the honor 
is for you who believe, but for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the words they were destined to do. And, and so the, this prophecy in Isaiah says, I, it's talking about Jesus here. It says, I am laying in Zion a cornerstone that is chosen and that is precious. Uh, and whoever believes in me will not be put to shame, but the honor is for you who believe. And, and so what, the, what Peter is tying in here is that the honor for the believer is not just being praised for who we are, but getting the one that's worthy of all of our praise, namely Jesus Christ. So when it says that the wise will inherit honor, it doesn't just mean that we'll get a good name about ourselves, but much more than that, it means that we get, we receive, we inherit everything in Jesus Christ. We get Jesus Christ, the chosen and precious cornerstone that God, his own son, put forward uh, for our sins. And so this honor uh, for those of us who walk according uh, to the word of the Lord, who fear the, the, the Lord, we get that honor. And then it talks about the foolish, those who don't heed the wisdom of God. And this is what it says about the foolish. It says that they will get disgrace or shame. Uh, and then uh, another text that I was reminded of in this was from Daniel 12. Um, and it says this right here in verses one and two. Uh, and I'm not gonna go all crazy end times on you, but this kind of seems to be a prophecy about the, the, when, when we go to eternity. It says this, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name uh, shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so the foolish, those who are not in Jesus Christ, the end is everlasting contempt and shame. So that shame of the foolish is not merely just the shame of being embarrassed because you did something wrong, but it's the shame of not having this precious uh, cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. Now, what I'm not saying, and I think this stands a little bit empty in the Proverbs if you don't also have the New Testament and the gospel message. So I'm not saying those who are really good at obeying God's laws get Jesus and those who aren't don't. Uh, I'm simply saying that what the Bible would call the wise, those who are in Christ Jesus, get honor, and, and those who are foolish get shame. And so there is a well-placed shame when we sin and when we choose to walk in sin and when we choose to dishonor God, there's a well-placed shame there. We should feel that. I think that uh, we are sometimes too quick to run away from that shame and to pretend like it never existed. Uh, it's good to acknowledge that that shame exists each and every time that we sin because that's what drives us into repentance, right? That's what drives us into Jesus Christ to acknowledge our sin and beg for forgiveness, which is what we do in light of the gospel. But I wanna transition to misplaced shame. I wanna spend most of my time here and then I wanna talk about how do we battle this shame? What does this look like? So misplaced shame is shame that you feel about a circumstance that does not dishonor God. It's shame that you feel about a circumstance that does not dishonor God. I have a few examples of this. One 
is uh, maybe being ashamed over sin that was done to you that you had no sinful interaction with. And I can think of many examples. One of the biggest examples I thought of is sexual abuse, sexual harassment, right? Uh, it's a common theme in, in psychology that those who have sin done to them in that way um, find it very hard not to feel shame about what had happened to them, not just because it happened to them, but as if they had a part in the shame, the sinful shame that had happened. And that's backwards, right? That's backwards. We, we, we shouldn't feel that. When other people sin against us, we have no connection with that shame. That shame is not on us. Our, our reaction shouldn't be, I'm obviously filthy, and, and Casey talked a little bit about this, I cannot be clean because I am dirty because this happened to me. That is not biblically how we should define ourselves in those things, but rather when sin happens to us, we have no connection with that dishonoring of God. That is someone else's connection. That is someone else's dishonoring. And that should not take our identity and, and move it away from being loved in God. And not only that, but you take maybe loss that you've experienced or something that's happened to you in life and you can feel shame about that. Like somehow you were just unworthy, right? And, and then God is just punishing you because of your unworthiness. And we should not associate ourselves with that shame. It is misplaced shame. Shame is when we dishonor God and have that connection with it. Another example would be um, being ashamed of Jesus or the gospel. The Bible actually has a lot to say about this. And in um, uh, Romans 1.16, right? Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the power of God unto salvation. And Paul is constantly encouraging other people when he's in prison not to be ashamed of him or the reason that he's in prison. Because they got scared, right? Because they don't want to go to prison or they don't want to be beat up or they don't want to be killed. Paul says, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of my imprisonment, right? Uh, Jesus himself said in Mark 8, verse 38, says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus said, don't be ashamed of me. If you're ashamed of me, when I come, I'll be ashamed of you. Those are scary words to sit on. But I think this is important because I think that we have a misplaced shame that is growing amongst us in our culture because our culture is increasingly unchristian, right? Our culture is increasingly hostile towards Christianity and the views that we hold. And we hold very controversial, countercultural views to what the world deems as appropriate, right? If you've watched the news or been on social media, I'm sure you've experienced a lot of this. And, and I would just say, it doesn't mean we have to be mean. It doesn't mean we have to be cruel, anything like that. Uh, all I am saying is that we shouldn't be ashamed of what we believe about the gospel and the Lord and his word. If we are ashamed about his word, about who he is, this is misplaced shame. It's still sinful shame. So in a sense, you should still feel ashamed, but it's also misplaced because we should not have this kind of shame. And another form of shame that is misplaced would be prolonged shame when your sin has been acknowledged, confessed, forgiven, and repented of. 1 John um, 1 verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us. So he's gonna do it every time and he's right in doing so. And so if we have sinned, 
and we've acknowledged that sin, right? We've acknowledged the dishonoring God. We've repented of that. We are now walking as new creatures away from that sin. There is no reason that we should continue to dwell on that sin. Like some of us are like, man, five years ago, right? You're still dealing with the same uh, shame from a sin that's already been repented of. And you should, there is a, a gospel freedom, and we'll talk about this a little bit, but to move on, right? To move on when you, for whatever sinful reason, continue to hang on to that shame. That is a misplaced shame. Yes, we feel shame, and it's good to feel that shame when we sin because that moves us towards repentance, but the end goal is not to feel shame. No one is going into heaven with their heads hung down, right? We are going into heaven with bright faces on the glory of God because he has cast our sins into a sea of forgetfulness. They are remembered no more. They are remembered no more. I have a quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon. If you could put that up. I actually didn't put it in my notes because I'm lame. I don't know if you can see it. Yes. Oh, that's really small. Okay, just read along with me. I will attempt. Uh, he said this, uh, it's a, the silver trumpet was a, a, a sermon he preached. Um, he's from the 1800s. He said this, uh, you shall be so cleaned that not the shadow of a spot nor the sign of a sin shall be left upon you. When a man believes in Christ, he is in the moment, in God's sight, as though he had never, um, well, it changed. There we go. Never sinned in all his life. This is the most wonderful thing about the gospel. This does not take away part of our sin, but the whole of it. It does not remove it partially, but entirely. Not for a little time, but forever. That's what the gospel does in Jesus Christ with our sin. So when when we repent of sin, which should be an ongoing process in our life, because we are sinful people still, still infected with the disease, but saved from its ultimate power and control over our lives. And when we sin, yes, we feel, we repent. But that's why 2 uh, Corinthians 7 says that godly grief leads to repentance without regret. We move on towards Jesus. Okay, so we have to ask the question, how do we fight it? That's really what I want to talk about today. How do we fight this misplaced shame and our temptation to prolong our shame in light of the gospel? Now, Casey did uh, preach last week. I'm trying not to be too repetitive from him. Uh, once again, out of Psalm 51, where David commits this uh, really just what we would consider terrible sin, right? He commits adultery, kills the woman's husband, and he is confronted by a prophet and he repents. And that's why he wrote Psalm 51, is just begging God to make him clean. And so that would be an obvious application. But I got three things I wanna talk about in our battle uh, against misplaced shame. And and here's what I would say. Uh, Number one, we battle shame by believing the promises of God. We battle shame by believing the promises of God. Um, This is vitally important for us that we know and believe the promises of God. Uh, Romans um, 10, verses 10 and 11 says this. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And this is quoting the same thing that Peter quoted. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So it is our belief in Jesus Christ 
and all the promises the Bible gives us that have their yes and amen in Jesus Christ that help us battle misplaced shame. In our shame, we believe, and it's an honest belief that we have. Um, And so I just wanted to point out a few promises that we might cling to. And I think this would be a a great study. I always encourage people to do this, but just just Google, do something about the promises of God and just start to look through all the promises of God that we have in scripture. As you read through your Bible reading plan, do this as well. Um, And uh, here's just a few. One, about God's promises, they are always faithful. Uh, Hebrews, I don't know if I have this one up there, but Hebrews 19 basically goes on to talk about how God promised Abraham and he sealed it with a covenant and we can trust it and it says this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so basically what he's saying there in Hebrews is that uh, these promises of God, we have as a steady anchor, a sure and steady anchor for our souls because uh, Jesus Christ has gone before us and made the sacrifice for us and he has won those promises for us. Um, God loves us and it's not based on our merit, but it's based on the fact that God loved us first. First John 4.10 says that God uh, we don't love God because we just love him, right? We love him because he first loved us. And so God's love came first. And so our foundation for God's love is stronger than our fleeting ability to love him back. That's important. God's mercies are new every morning, Lamentations 3.23. So every single day we get brand new mercies, every single moment from God to continue to walk with him. God always forgives us. We just quoted 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins, he is uh, faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our father delights in giving us his kingdom, which is everything he has. And Luke 12, it says that um, God, uh, he says, fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then lastly, uh, is that you are clean in Jesus Christ. Now these are all promises I think based on the sin and the disbelief of shame, but there's this story. I love telling my kids all the time and it's in Luke uh, five and it's about a man with leprosy. Uh, and if you don't know exactly what leprosy is, I don't either, uh, welcome to the club. But basically it's a skin disease uh, that is very contagious and very deadly where literally like, I mean, body parts can just start falling off. It's very fatal. And and this was a common-ish disease back in the time of Israel. And so Israel's got all these tons of laws based on leprosy that you can't touch someone with leprosy. And the person with leprosy had to be excluded from the people of God because they couldn't come into worship with the people of God, which was for Americans, it's like, fine, I'll just go live on my own and do my own thing, right? But for Israel was a big deal. They couldn't worship with the people of God and be with the people of God. And so they were cast out of the city they were considered unclean no one could touch them you were disowned and you just kind of hung out together with other lepers and created your own little crew all right that's what leprosy was like and Jesus tells a story of Jesus uh this basically this man of leprosy runs up to Jesus falls on his face and begs for Jesus to have mercy on him And, and and so he basically asked Jesus he says Jesus Lord if you will you can make me clean. Well, he says, if you want to, you can make me clean. I know you can, I believe it. If you want to, you can do it. And Jesus does the most outlandish thing. He kneels down beside the male leprosy and he touches him. 
which would have been unheard of. You don't touch a man with leprosy because you get leprosy. And he touched him and he looked at him and he said, I will be clean. Or you could say, I'm willing, be clean. And he heals him and then commands him not to tell anybody. Um, I love that story. I love that story. If you need a story and a promise to hang on to about the love of God, that is a great one. Jesus says, I want to. Most of us that deal with shame, we feel a pretty much ongoing, continuous feeling of unworthiness and shame that we can never be loved by God because of our shame, because of our sin, because of our wrongness, because of our unworthiness. And Jesus stoops down to one of the most unworthy men of society, touches him and says, I want to be clean, be clean. Don't get that backwards. It is not I get clean and then I come to Christ. It is I come to Christ because he is willing and wanting and desires of me to be clean in him. And so I run to him. We cling, we gotta battle. Your battle against shame is not going to be won and your ability to do unshameful things. Your battle against shame is going to be won in childlike belief of the promises of God for you in Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, the battle is against unbelief. That's what produces shame in us. Uh, John Piper wrote a whole book on battling unbelief and he said this and he said, no one who banks his hope on the promises of God will be put to shame. No one. So we bank our hope there. Uh, number two, it's gonna seem very similar, uh, but another way in, in which uh, we battle uh, is we battle shame through memorizing the word of God through memorizing the word of God. Uh, so not only do we battle shame by believing the promises of God, but we battle shame uh, through memorizing the word of God. Now this is, uh, like I said, very closely to related, but I think this is the avenue through or the weapon in which we use for the belief in the promises of God. Now I know when I got up here, I was looking, I was kind of just trying to figure out my points, looking at scriptures, trying to figure out what I was gonna do. I know that it is taboo to preach on memorizing scripture, okay? It's like for us, I think scripture is more like if I memorize the scripture in Sunday school, I'll get a treat, right? Like I get a prize if I memorize this text from Romans 3. Uh, and so I mean, we might view memorizing scripture like that, but my encouragement is memorizing scripture is not just a Sunday school treat, but it is the very weapon in our hands to fight against uh, unbelief in Satan and darkness. It is so important that we memorize the word of God. I want to be as practical as possible. Um, Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11 says this, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I don't just simply mean to memorize scripture um, so you could repeat it back and get a gold star. I mean actually memorizing and embodying and believing in the scriptures. And the way we do that is that, that we, we, memorize, we commit it to memory so it's there. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but I've been in many situations where I feel desperate for belief. All I could say was, God, I just want to believe. I don't know. I can't do this myself. 
And I've had times like that where I have no scripture memorized and I'm just like fumbling for something, don't have a way to necessarily look. I know we have like 13 Bibles on our shelves, right? But uh, there are many circumstances where we just need that scripture in our minds and in our hearts. And I've been in situations where I have it and I'm telling you there's a difference. And so we also battle through memorizing God's word. And I'm not saying you gotta memorize whole books. I think you can. I think we really sell ourselves short. We say, oh, I'm not a big reader or I have really trouble memorizing things. But if you would just think about the things you actually memorize on a weekly basis, it's crazy. It's crazy how much you can memorize. Like think of all the 90s songs you right now you could sing if they came on, right? It's crazy. You, you have a seriously good memory. It's just a desire and a commitment uh, to memorizing them. But it's so important we do this because it, it, is in, it is in that memorization and having that word that we can, we can battle. Uh, so memorize the promises. Just Google promises of God. Just memorize one line, one verse promises. Commit them to memory. Keep them uh, close to you and uh, love them and believe them. Uh, thirdly, we battle shame not only um, through believing the promises of God and memorizing the word of God, but with the people of God. With the people of God is important. We went over this text uh, a few sermons ago, but Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So to isolate yourself from other people in the midst of the shame that you are feeling, which is the obvious thing to do, right? Because normally we're not just ashamed about dishonoring God, but we're ashamed that other people are gonna know that we dishonor God. Therefore, we isolate and therefore we break out, we rebel against all sound and good judgment. We act foolishly when we isolate ourselves because of shame, but it's such a temptation, right? Like, I don't want people to know that I dishonor God. I don't want people to know that I sin. I'd rather people think, man, Eric's a really awesome guy. He's really cool, whatever. We don't want people to know about us, but it's important that people do. It's important that we not run away from the people of God, but we run to the people of God as we battle uh, our unbelief of shame. Very important. Um. Another text that I think speaks into this really well on how we do that. This is one I always love to share at weddings. You know, uh, I always like to mix it up just a little bit because uh, obviously if you've been to a wedding, it's some texts which are really great texts of the Bible. I feel totally confident using those at weddings, but I like to throw things in there that are a little bit different and awkward. And this one is a good one for that. It says, love, this is Romans uh, 12, 10. It says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I love that text because uh, I love competition. By nature, I just, I'm competitive. If I lose at ping pong, it's like I will be there until I beat you. And we're gonna play over and over, and I've done this, and over again until I win, right? Um, And so we have an outlet for that in home groups, in the Christian community, right? Which is outdo one another in showing honor. Make it a competition out of love for one another that you seek to honor one another. There is something healing and restoring about honest and sincere honoring of one another that combats shame and the lies of the enemy in our shame in a fantastic way. Um, There's a few practical ways you could do this. Um, One is that we humbly promote others even when we're not promoted. Uh, And I just thought like, what if our natural bend was to do that? 
Because the Bible over and over again tells us to put one another's needs first, to honor one another, right? And so uh, just simply uh, promoting one another. It doesn't have to be awkward when you do it, but encouraging one another um, is super important. Um, We also remind each other of the promises of God. This is a way to honor another person, is to remind them, encourage them with the scriptures that you've memorized, etc. But to outdo one another in showing honor is a great way to battle uh, this um, sin of unbelief and shame. And here's the deal. Uh, and I know we already went over this, but um, when, when you move to isolation and you continue to move into isolation, it becomes harder and harder to come back into this healing process of uh, going to the people of God. And so my encouragement would be don't isolate yourself in shame. Do not isolate yourself from God or from the people of God but embrace the truth about your shame, acknowledge the lies about the shame you feel, and press in to the gospel of Jesus Christ in your shame. Now, um, those are some practical handles, and I wanted to be as practical as possible with that. I think those are important. Uh, But one thing I just wanna encourage us with is um, if you are a child of God, shame has no grip on you Um, anymore because of the gospel. It doesn't. Like I said, there is a time and a place for well-placed shame and disobedience to God and dishonoring him. But by and large, shame has no place uh, and no grip on the children of God. Um, Through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we are forgiven in love. Hebrews 12, which is one of the greatest portions of scripture of all time, uh, it gives us this encouragement. It says, looking to Jesus. It's talking about running our race with endurance in this life. And then verse two says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, who has started and will complete our faith ran a race just like ours. And what he did was because of the joy that was set before him of the, his glory that he would receive and the inbringing of his saints and the salvation of his people, Jesus endured. He endured the shame that was supposed to be endured by us. He despised it, but he endured it. I mean, think about that. And we kind of read through the Gospels and there's probably anger that comes up, right? You think about what Jesus endured. Jesus, God of the universe, creator of all who could crush anyone he wanted to in a millisecond, endured such mockery and violence from people, right? that he could have crushed, but he endured it for you. He was mocked, he was spit on, he was beaten, he was murdered brutally, and he did it for you. He despised the shame. So Jesus has already borne your shame. It is not yours to bear anymore. So we can trust in him. We don't have to grow faint-hearted when we think of how unworthy we are, because we are unworthy. We don't deserve God. We are unworthy ashamed and should be and that's the point of the gospel 
that's the apex of the gospel, is that you are unlovely, you are shameful, you are unworthy of the love of God, and by his grace and his mercy, he gives it to us anyways because he chose to love us. So he bears that shame. So today, I do want you to feel a sense of your unworthiness and your shame. Um, But then bank your hope on the promises of God. Bank your hope on the worthiness of Jesus Christ. Bank your hope on the love and kindness and grace and mercy of our God, which is offered to you today and every single day. Bank your hope on that because there is no other hope outside of Jesus Christ but in the gospel. And so what I would like to do for us is I just wanna take a moment. I think that this is kind of a heavier uh, topic when we deal with shame, um, but I wanna take a moment just to pray. And, and we, we always acknowledge that it's, it's not us who can work these things in us, right? It's not us that can make ourselves unashamed as we said, but it's, it's God. It's God Belief cannot be uh, stirred by us, but it's God that brings faith uh, to us. And so we just wanna take time to pray about that and just ask him, God, do a work in our hearts. If you're someone that's been dealing with shame for a long time, a pretty consistent uh, lack of faith in that you're really saved or a pretty consistent feeling of unworthiness and like you just can't get past how unworthy you are, I do wanna beg you and just just ask you, when we kind of pray and we start worship and take communion, there's gonna be people on the sides of the rooms that would love to pray with you, would love to just hear your heart and would love to just ask God with you to to change what's going on. Um, But ultimately, at the end of the day, Jesus is reaching out and he's offering us freedom and newness of life today uh, to not walk in shame, but confidence, to not walk in bondage, but freedom. And so let's, let's pray for that today. You guys bow your heads with me. Father, we, um, we ask you this morning, like we asked you before the sermon and before the gathering, that you would just, you would make your words precious to us. God, that you would make your, your word true to us. And God, I pray for those who are battling the unbelief of shame, who have maybe isolated themselves from uh, community and other people who could help them have maybe isolated themselves from you because they feel so unworthy and so ashamed, maybe something that was done to them that really they had no part in, or or maybe something that they have done or continue to do that they continue to bear that shame But God, I just pray for the simple truth that you have borne our shame. You have carried our sorrows. You um, can heal us. You love us, not because we're worthy, but simply because you love us. The foundation of your love is on your character and your greatness and your glory and not our character and greatness and glory. Because apart from you, we have nothing good in us. And so God, I pray for an earnest desire to battle out of the shame. Help us as a church to battle against this with one another, to outdo one another in showing honor, to to hold your word as dear and precious and memorize it and soak it up. And God, ultimately just to believe your promises because God, every single thing you promised will happen. 
is going to happen, and it's ours in your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us believe. Help our unbelief, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.